All right, welcome to the Joy Squad Adventure, show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We're live at least this time, but we're going to as they call podcasted. And you can listen to the show anytime you want. This is George Wilder of the George Wilder Junior Show, broadcasting out of the city of Chicago. It's still a beautiful day, folks. In the city of Chicago, I hope it's a beautiful day where you are. Get out there and enjoy it. I mean, get out there and enjoy it. Remember, winter's coming. So get out there and enjoy it. Don't sit around the house feeling depressed and, and helpless as if you can't do anything about what's going on in America. You can. You have a voice. Use it. Your voice is strong. You have a phone, use it. You have a, a computer. You have a, you have a smartphone, an iPhone, a cell phone. Use it. Your voice is um, paramount. You know. And then later, use your vote when it comes time to vote. So there's so many things you can do instead of sitting around uh, feeling that the walls are closing in or the world is uh, a bad place. You can make a difference. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what your age. If you want to do something uh, uh, courageous, make your voice heard. You know, talk. I mean, we're we're all going to get old and die, so we might as well do something uh, that others can remember us by. You know, do something great. You know, so don't sit around because there's too many people doing that. Too many people sitting around. Doing nothing, talking about nothing, into nothing. And that's where nothing happens. Nothing happens. But a lot of people are starting to, to take uh, heed of what's going on when they, uh, at one time, they didn't give a damn or they didn't care. You know, so you get out there and vote, okay? Get out there and vote, vote blue. There was a time, there was a time when I <laughs> damn there was a time um uh when I did the show I think uh, a few years ago I used to do the show and I would just tell people to get out and vote I didn't p- partic- I excuse me I can't even talk I didn't say which side to vote for I I would just say vote 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 but now it's so crucial I'm you know things come down to vote blue vote democratic vote independent. And I'm going to say this again. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I look at both sides and criticize both sides where I see criticism is warranted. So get out there uh, and enjoy yourself. I mean, take a 30-minute walk around your neighborhood. Uh, If you can afford it, go to the gym. But you don't have to go to anybody's gym. You don't have to pay $30, $100 a month to go to somebody's gym to get healthy. Uh, walking would, will suffice. It will do the trick. You know, especially when you get older, you're going to need to exercise a hell of a lot more than some of the young people do. You know, um, I mean, get out and walk. I see too many older people not exercising. And that's, you know, that's not good. You know, that's not good. Sitting up and gaining weight is not good. You have to do something. You you have to get that blood flowing. You got to get that blood flowing through your veins every single day. If you don't get that blood flowing, you're gonna be in a lots of trouble. You're gonna be in lots. Of, it, it can cause a lot of things to happen: amputation, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. You need to get out here and exercise. Do something and feel good about yourself. 
stop feeling down. Stop feeling like the world is there's nothing you can do about what's going on. You there is. There's a lot of things you can do. For one, use your voice. Use your voice. Use your intelligence. Use your education. All of these things work. They work. You don't have to physically get out here and run amok up and down the street saying, take my country back. You can just, you know, use what's available to you to contact your local government agencies and to tell them, you know, your feelings and how you want to see things change. Believe me, they will listen because a lot of them, they feel the same way you do. The country is going to shit. They feel the same, even, and they work for the government, okay? And they feel the same way that you do. So they're going to get your word. They're going to get your word heard by specific people that can do something. But you got to speak up. You, you, you can't sit back and say nothing and do nothing and expect others to come out and fight your battles for you. I don't care if you're 90 years old. You have to get out there and fight your own battles. Fight your own. Well, I can't walk. I'm in a wheelchair. You have a voice. Use it. My knees hurt. My back hurt. I can't move. But you can talk. You can speak. You still got your brain. Your faculties are still working. Use it. Use it. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We just came on the air at 610. And uh, I don't know how I get off on these tantrums like this, folks. I just go off on them because I feel so um, uh, I feel so uh, dedicated to some of the things I say. And I, I know you do because I do get responses. I have gotten responses on some of this stuff. Um, something always popping up on my computer here, and I have to click off of it, you know. Uh, don't know what it is. Anyway, yes, I do. I just ain't going to say anything. All righty. Let's see what we get. Oh, Chicago, folks. I mean, this is a mess. Um, 71 people were shot in Chicago over the weekend. 71 people. Uh, 12 people dead. Dead. Yeah, 71 people shot in the city of Chicago over the past weekend 71 and if you've been listening to the show you know that a few years ago I was in the mayor's ass and in the superintendent's ass about not having a plan to um, end violence in the city of Chicago or either cut it down drastically and these creeps they still do not have a plan for violence and this Mayor is running for a re-election next year. He's running for re-election. Now, what makes him think that the people of Chicago will elect him for a third time for him to do crap when it comes lowering crime in the city of Chicago? This is the this is the third largest city. I don't know. We might be the fourth largest now because people been people have been leaving the city because of the crime. People have been exiting the south and west sides of the city because of the crimes. The one who, the, those folks who can afford to leave, they, they boogie, they get up, they go, they leave. They say, hey, wow, we're not going to stick around here and get blown away because the police, they're too cowardly to uh, patrol in those areas as they should. 
The only time you see the police in some of these crime-ridden areas is after someone has been shot. The, the police and the uniforms are, are supposed to be a deterrent. They don't deter a damn thing in the city of Chicago. And some of these police, some of these police are probably, some of them are young, very young. They don't, you, you stick some of these young officers in some of these really, really rough neighborhoods, these crime-written neighborhoods where they shoot. You know, they don't know what the hell they're doing. You can't just stick somebody in a uniform and say, hey, wow, get over there on the west side, stand up on that corner. They're going to get blown away. And they know it. The mayor of Chicago and the superintendent, these assholes, they do not have a plan. Even the aldermen, they don't have a plan. I mean, they're too busy kissing the mayor's ass for this or that. I don't know. Anyway, we are sick and tired of the violence that's going on in the city of Chicago. I think last week there was a, a couple of marches downtown and Lakeshore Drive and people were fed up with the crime in the city of Chicago and once the parades and the protesting and the marching was over more people were shot as if that to say to the mayor, the protesters fuck off we're going to shoot, we're going to kill the mayor and the superintendent they must go they don't have a clue on trying. But what gets me is that after every shooting in the city of Chicago, after every massacre in the city of Chicago, these jackasses, they come on television, do a press uh, uh, briefing on television from, from the police station, and they have these statistics in their hands saying that crime is down. Crime is down. Shootings are down. Look how many guns we've taken off the street. Now, how can you believe that? Nobody should believe that. That's bullshit. Anytime 60, 70, 100 people get shot in one weekend and these assholes parade across the television, they say, crime is down. The the statistics from last year, this year, the year before proves it. And we're the dumbasses. We're supposed to buy it. We're supposed to believe it because it's coming from the superintendent. It's coming from the mayor. Forget about what we see. Forget about what is happening. Forget about all the shootings and all the deaths because the crime is down. New York, Los Angeles, two of the largest cities in America. New York, Los Angeles combined do not have the carnage that Chicago has. It's more crime than those two states cities together. Now, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when you turn on the 5, five o'clock news or the uh, 5.30 world news on every channel. You see they lead off their newscast with the carnage, the killings, the murders in the city of Chicago. 
then you see the superintendent and the mayor citing crime is down. Now, who's dumb enough to believe that? When there is 71, 80 people shot, and they're going to come on television and say, crime is down, ladies and gentlemen, and people, crime is down. And we know damn well crime is down. Don't tell us anything about statistics. You could have cooked those books and just sit and just went out there and twisted that shit and said it any way you wanted to say it to try to make us believe it because you're the mayor and the superintendent. And we're supposed to believe what you say. A lot of people, a lot of people with, with some sort of a power think that whatever comes out of their mouth, you're supposed to believe it because they uh, have the power. Uh, 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 they have uh, uh, these jobs, uh, sensitive jobs that you should believe because you should believe him because they're, he's the mayor and he's the uh, superintendent. So you have to say, you know, do I believe him? Well, I'm the superintendent, so believe me, crime is down. Oh, I'm the mayor. Believe me, crime is down. After, yeah, how can crime be down? How can it be down? A lot of people say, well, we hired so many police officers. Well, maybe you didn't train them as well as you should have. Maybe you didn't put them in the spots that they should have been in. And I've been saying for years now that if I was superintendent of the police, I I think anybody with some brains would be able to lower crime in the city of Chicago. For a minute there, I was telling this uh, people, uh, uh, the superintendent, I don't think they were listening, but I was saying that if you want to know how to reduce crime in the city of Chicago, see what other cities are doing to reduce their crime and follow their lead New York their crime is low follow the lead of New York Los Angeles it's not as high as Chicago follow their lead what is it what is it well we took and we've taken a hundred guns off the street yeah you may have taken a hundred guns off the street but after you've taken those hundred guns off the street 71 people were shot. Maybe you didn't take enough guns off the street. And why do people, why do gangbangers come from other cities around uh, uh, America to Chicago? Because they know they can get away with shooting each other. And that's the thing. Uh, They shoot each other. And then they shoot innocent people, bystanders. They, um, and they don't walk down the street to shoot you. They these guys, they want to shoot you. They, they jump out of their cars and just put a gun to the back of your head and pull the trigger. That's what they do. Yeah, I've heard shots over here where I am. But it's not as bad as – over here uh, is not as bad as it is on the south and west sides of the city. That's why you don't see many police officers on this side as much because they know – that the real uh, carnage and crime and shootings on the west side, west side and south sides of the city. This is where they should be uh, patrolling. And I've said several times, if the police feel that they can't control crime in the city of Chicago, and they can't, why not the National Guard? 
Why not the uh, U.S. Army? Chicago needs help. And the mayor, the governor, these fuckers will not get help for Chicago in lowering the crime. I'm not the only one that has suggested the National Guard. But the mayor says no. The governor says, says no to the National Guard in, in these crime areas. They will get that crime down. But the mayor and the governor, they do not want the National Guard. Why? Because it'll make them look bad. It'll make them it seem as if they can't uh, lower crime on their own. No, they can't lower it on their own because they're not even trying. They're not even trying. And this superintendent, Eddie Johnson, is the worst superintendent ever. It makes me sick to see him come on television after people have died on the south and west sides of the city to say crime is down. Now, who's going to buy that? The mother of those children who have been killed and murdered and slaughtered? They can't come out on the porch. They can't walk to the park. They can't even go to the corner store. Who's going to believe that? Crime is down. And they will not put the National Guard on the south and west sides of the city where people are constantly, constantly, constantly being shot. And the police, they need help because a lot of these boys and girls in, in these uniforms, in these police uniforms, are scared shitless themselves. And you put them in a, and you put some of these um, new recruits, police officers, in some of these high crime areas. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what they're into. I mean, you can train them as much as you want, but when it comes down to pulling out that gun and shooting someone, that they could probably freeze up and get themselves killed. You need the National Guard on the west and south sides of the city. I mean, because Fourth of July, I mean, you've got these holidays uh, uh, where crime is, where these, and where the crime is increasing, it's increasing, it's not going down. Uh, these people are full of shit when they tell you that. Believe me, they are. It is not. And the police in some of these crime-ridden areas they do not patrol as much as they should. Why patrol? You need someone in, in these high crime areas. You need someone in, to stay put. Not, do not go anywhere. Do not even patrol. Stay put in that particular area. Build yourself a security hut or something. And stay there in that high crime area to keep, the, to keep those folks those people, those Chicagoans, safe. It is the job of the superintendent and the mayor of Chicago to keep Chicagoans safe. That's not happening. It has not happened for a long time. And we have these two assholes in office collecting a taxpayer paycheck and not doing their jobs. There, I think it's really, really easy crime down in the city of Chicago. But I think the mayor... The superintendent and a few of them asshole aldermans, they do not want to do it. Maybe they want black people on the south and west sides to shoot each other up, kill each other. 
so they can get that land and build condos and put <laughs> all kinds of stores and you know they just want to re- revitalize it let them kill each other off then we'll take the land uh I don't know what's going on, but I know it was a bloody Chicago weekend, folks. It was, and I, I usually don't talk about uh, Chicago much, but it's uh, usually a political uh, ire that gets me on a national scale. But this time, I think I think I should actually uh, talk about the city that where I live. I love Chicago. People keep asking me, George, why don't you leave? Why are you still there? Because I love it, and I think it's a beautiful city. It's a great city. It's a wonderful city. It's one of the greatest cities in America. We just have to get some people who know how to fight crime, bring the crime rate down in the city of Chicago. Just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean I don't love love where I live. I'm pretty sure wherever you are in the world, are in the world you love it there. I could have, I could have left Chicago years ago if I wanted to. I did not want to. I'm still not going to leave Chicago. I'm going to stay and fight for a better Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm not the type to get up and run. I've been a fighter all my life. That's why I'm still here. I'm not the type to get up and run. It is so easy to bring down crime in the city of Chicago, but either these jackasses do not have a plan or their plan is not to bring the crime down and to escalate it. That's the only thing I can see going on here. If you can't bring the crime down in the city of Chicago or if you will not bring the crime down in the city of Chicago, then you must want it. You must want people to kill each other. You must want people to shoot each other. And it's always funny to me and ironic to me that, you know, you don't see the police in some of these high crime neighborhoods like you should see them. Patrolling or standing guard or, or whatever. But when but when someone gets shot uh, in the middle of the street, oh, the police are all over the place then. They're everywhere then. Where the fuck were you? Where the hell were you before this happened? Oh, yeah, when somebody gets shot, I mean, you see police from everywhere then. I mean, it, they're all over the place. <laughs> they're all over the place. Where were you before the shots were fired? When you know this is a high crime neighborhood, when you know this is a volatile area. On the city of Chicago. When you know people shoot over here. When you know people kill other people on this side of town. Where were you? In the donut shop? Cruising? On your phone? Yeah, a lot of police officers, they be on their phones texting and on Facebook while... uh. <laughs> While driving, uh, patrolling some of these neighborhoods. Yeah, they they uh, be on their phones, and they don't get called out for it. From what I've read, they don't get called out for it. But you know, 
they may be getting called out for it now since it's, since it was reported. You know, so it, it, I just think we need a new superintendent. I, I don't think we need more cops. I think we have enough out here. What we need is a good plan, foolproof plan to bring down crime. And it's, and it is obvious that the mayor of the city of Chicago, he doesn't have a plan. Superintendent, I mean, he comes on, he gives interviews and and he tells us about his plans, plans that do not work. The only plan that's going to work in bringing down crime is the, and you've heard it on the George Wilder Jr. show, in the city of Chicago, is the National Guard, the U.S. Army. That will bring it down. I mean, these guys jump out of their cars with guns and start shooting at the National Guard. The National Guard will shoot back. See, these guys, these guys that, that get in their cars and jump out and just start shooting people, most people, when they're walking down the street, they don't have a gun. They're not armed. The National Guard will be armed. The U.S. Army will be uh, armed. One of them thugs shoot, shoot at the U.S. Army personnel. That person is going to shoot right back. And in some cases, I don't think the gangbangers are going to be shooting, shooting at the uh, National Guard because the National Guard will be a deterrent. But some m- may feel emboldened and try to take out the guard, which will be to their detriment. To their detriment. Something has, has to happen in the city of Chicago. And, and right now, I'm going to tell you folks, right now at this very moment, people are bitching, people are upset, people are angry, and they want this mayor out. They want Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Eddie Johnson, they want them out. And we need to vote out some of these cracker-ass aldermen. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way or racist way. We just have to get these people out who aren't doing the job. Who aren't doing the job but getting paid. Eddie Johnson is collecting a big, fat, six-figure paycheck. And he has done nothing whatsoever to bring crime down. He sits up on his fat ass, giving these interviews, acting as if he knows everything about everything, and he knows nothing because 71 people over this weekend were shot because he, because he and his force were not there to prevent these things from happening. They weren't there. They weren't around. And they can hire all the cops they want. But if they don't have a plan, like Los Angeles, like New York, and other cities in America, carnage will still climb. Will still climb. And and I have to say that The governor of Illinois, Bruce Rauner, and I believe what people have been saying, he is definitely the worst governor 
whatsoever. He hasn't done a damn thing for Illinois. The only thing that guy has done, and it's been in the negative, he has, for two and a half years, this state has been without a budget. And some stupid people are going to vote for him. No doubt about it. They're going to vote for him, just like ignorant-ass folks are going to vote for Donald Trump. If he's still alive, if he's still alive and running in 2020, you know, but that's an, that that's another area area I'm going to go into later. But uh, I mean, when you live in a when you live in a um, city as beautiful as, as Chicago, uh, and you see that people who are running the city, who's supposed to be leaders and people you look up to, they're not doing a damn thing. You have to stay and fight. You can't. I can understand some people leaving the city of Chicago. I can understand it. I can understand people leaving the south sides and west sides of the city uh, and taking their kids because they don't want themselves or their children to be gunned down in cold blood. Oh, yeah. The population in the city of Chicago has dwindled. People have up and left the city. Can you. People who are who are left on the south sides and the west side of the cities, they are still there because they can't afford to go anywhere. So they are still in harm's way. People who are on food stamps or, or rental assistance or, um, you know, they can't afford to, to move. They can't afford to move. They can't afford to go anywhere. People who aren't employed, they can't afford to move up the south. So they're stuck in harm's way. And they, they're they the ones who are getting killed because they can't afford to move from those uh, uh, high crime areas. And in some instances, why should they move? That's their home. That's where they live. It's the job of the police officers to protect them. On the side of their cars, it says, we serve and protect. Bullshit. Because if you served and protect, 71 people would not have been shot. 12 would have not died over the weekend. We don't need more police officers. If you feel you got to hire more police officers, then hire more police officers. What you really need, I'm, I'm going to say this for the umpteenth time. What you really need is a plan, ideas, and you can get those plans and ideas from other states like New York, other cities like New York, uh, Los Angeles, because they have low crime. Other cities with low, low crime. Follow their lead. Find out what the hell they're doing, and then you do it. That is so simple. But regardless of what Mary Rahm Emanuel and Eddie Johnson decide to do right now, it's too late. It is too late to bring back 12 people who have died in Chicago over the weekend. It is too late for those 71 people who were shot over the weekend. And who knows some of them? might die from their wounds. Some of them might be become paralyzed. 
some will probably uh, be okay. But the fact of the matter is that they were shot in a city that that does nothing about lowering the crime in their town. They do nothing. Oh yeah, right now I think they've. Uh, Someone said that they've already given some sort of a, a, a press briefing, and it was televised. I didn't see it, but I heard it was the same old dribble from all the other times. People were shot, and they gave some kind of a, um, uh, a press meeting with television cameras. Same old dribble, which means that crime is down. That's the dribble that they uh, give us. Whenever 60, 70, 80 people are shot, Johnson brings his fat ass on television or somebody affiliated with him and say, crime is down. Crime is down. They're reading from some paper on a podium. Crime is down. And they're comparing crimes this year of crimes last year and of crimes five or six years ago, even 10 years ago, comparing them to what's the statistics of today, which is bullshit. The statistics of today is that 71 people were shot. Where was the police? Aren't they supposed to be patrolling? Where was the police? 71 people? The police, I mean, you have 71 people in probably in 71 different areas of the city of Chicago. Where were the, where were the police? Aren't they supposed to be patrolling on in on foot in their cars in these high crime neighborhoods, neighborhoods that they know are volatile uh, and people die from gunshots? Where were the police? I mean, they're hiring all of these cops, right? They're hiring all of these police officers. Where were they? They, they sure in the hell weren't in these communities while these people were getting shot up. But I bet you one thing, they showed up after the people were shot. As I've been saying on the show, they showed up afterwards, standing around in the streets. Instead of, <laughs> instead of going after the bad guys, they're standing around in the streets waiting for the ambulance, and then they're still standing there. As if the bad guys are going to come back and give themselves up. Where were the police? I mean, you got shootings all over the city of Chicago, but basically they're in the south and west sides of the city. And the police know, they know, one of the things about it, the police know that these are high crime neighborhoods. Why weren't you on the fucking ball in these communities? Where were, where was the police? Dunkin' Donuts. I don't really want to say that eating pizza. I don't know. They sure in the hell weren't in in those areas where these shots were fired. Yeah, they shot fires. Come to think of it, the police said they have some sort of technology with shots shots fired. Okay, uh, in certain communities, if a sh- if shooting is going on, if shots are fired in some some of these communities. The police have technology to to track where that where those shots came from. 
<laughs> I don't believe that crap. They they track where the shots came from because they're shooting all over the city of Chicago. If, if that was the case, every time somebody pulled a trigger, the police would know where to go. But you don't see uh, you you don't see the police. Period. Shots fired my ass. You know where the shots are coming from. By the time you reach the area where the shots have came from, the shooter is gone. So what kind of plan is that? So shots were fired. Big deal. By the time you reach the area where the shots were fired, the bad guy is long gone. So uh, that failed miserably. And they had some other plan. The the only plan is to put the National Guard, the National Guard in some of these high-profile communities where people are going to die if the police do not step up their game. As I've said a thousand times, you can hire as many police officers as you want to, as you're capable of. But what Chicago needs is what Los Angeles has, New York, and that's a plan, a foolproof plan or plans, plural, plans, to bring down the uh, crime. If they don't, if they can't do it, I think they need help. And we have the National Guard here. Why don't they use them? Why don't they use them? It's just beyond me. Why? Because they feel that the National Guard is going to make them look bad. That's why. They feel that the National Guard may get the job done. And the National Guard take all the credit and they get none. They don't want the National Guard here. So you blame the mayor and the governor for not protecting the people that they are supposed to be protecting. When the mayor gets, when when you vote for a mayor, you, you voting for someone to uh, uh, protect you to keep you from getting shot. But I really don't think Rahm Emanuel give a damn. I really don't. Rahm Emanuel is more about beautification of the city. Building libraries, putting flowers all around in certain neighborhoods and the parks. <laughs> but when it comes to solving crimes, he's a failure. He is a failure. And his superintendent, Eddie Johnson, they are big, fat failures, and they should lose their jobs. You've heard it on the George Wilder Jr. show, and you can you'll you'll probably hear it uh, at City Hall. You'll probably hear it around, you know, on some of the street corners or some of the in in, in people in people's homes, in people's apartments, condos. You'll hear it everywhere that these folks are failing us. They are failing big. Fucking time. They're failing us, folks. 
There's no doubt about it. We need new blood, fresh ideas, and people who are who care about the citizens of Chicago. Politically, when you when you uh, vote for someone, when you vote for someone, you know you expect that person to protect you, protect you and your family. As I've said before, people are leaving Chicago in droves. But you'll never hear that from Mayor Rahm Emanuel. You'll never hear it from Bruce Rauner. They're not going to let you know that people are leaving because that makes them look bad. So they're not going to say it. But we know that Chicago's population is down. And because people are moving up off the south and west sides of the city and out of Chicago in general because they don't want to be associated with a town town with the uh, murder statistics, shooting statistics, gun statistics as we have in the city of Chicago. People moving. And the people who are staying, those are the ones who can't afford to move. They can't afford to go anywhere. So they're in harm's way and they're still not protected from a gunshot because the mayor and and Superintendent Johnson, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Because if they did, we would not have had 71 people shot over the weekend. 12 died. And I can go back to every other weekend where there's been carnage. Every other weekend where there's been carnage. Just about every weekend in the city of Chicago, some shooting is going on. But the fact that it's been 71 people which uh, that were shot over, the, over this past weekend makes you want to just, you know, say the whole system is just fucked up. So we have a mayor election coming up next year and vote this clown out, vote him back to wherever the hell he came from, because he's not good for Chicago. Neither is his handpicked superintendent. All they're doing is collecting a big fat paycheck as people die. As people die. And it's, it's, it's sad, but it's true. We just have to change things, not just locally, but, you know, at the federal level also. The, the people have to take back, back the country. We have to take back Chicago. If our, if our politicians, if they don't do the job, then we are settled with doing the job ourselves. And uh, that's what we're doing in some cases, in some cases, Uh as I've said several times before, you have to make your voices heard. Make your voices heard. Your voice is, uh, if it's all you have, then it's all you can do, and that is plenty. Make your voices heard because, you know, this is our time. This is the time for, for the people. I'm going to say this one more time. We have to get Rahm Emanuel and Eddie Johnson out of City Hall because they do not know what they're doing or they don't care about what they're doing. They're just collecting a big, fat 
funky paycheck while people are dying in the streets.
And um, because I believe in being kind and welcoming to guests, we're going to let our guests go first today, and we'll start with Senator Sanders. Uh, Senator Paul, thank you very much for holding this hearing, and let me thank uh, our panelists for, without exception, uh, their very cogent testimony. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution states very clearly, and I quote, Congress shall have the power to declare war, end quote. Founding fathers gave the power to authorize military conflicts to Congress for one very simple reason. Congress is the branch of the government that is most accountable to the people. There is no question but that over the years, Congress has allowed its authority over this very important issue of war-making to ebb. It is time for us to reassert that authority and to start asking some very tough questions about the wars, and I use the word wars, W-A-R-S, that we are currently in. Now, some people may think that this is an interesting, abstract discussion. We have brilliant constitutional scholars, wonderful intellectual debate. But let me assure every person here that the abdication of Congress to its responsibilities over war has had incredibly dire and horrific consequences for the people of our country and, in fact, the world. So I want to bring this down to earth and away from an abstract, although enormously important, constitutional discussion. I want to give you three examples in recent American history where Congress did not ask the right questions, abdicated its responsibility, and the consequences were enormous. Very few Americans know that when we deal with Iran, very much in the news right now, how many people know that in 1953, the United States, along with the British, overthrew the democratically elected government of Mohammed Mossadegh, reinstalling authoritarian rule under the Shah. In 1979, the Shah was overthrown in the Iranian revolution, bringing to power an extremist anti-American government. In 1953, the United States government, without congressional approval, thought that it could simply remove the government of Iran in order to protect wealthy oil interests. And what has been the consequences of that over the years? Congress abdicated its responsibility. And the second one, more relevant to my generation, was the war in Vietnam. In 1964, now Iran took place under Eisenhower, Republican. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson, Democrat, otherwise in my view a very great president. But in this instance, cited an attack on a U.S. ship in the Gulf of Tonkin as a pretext for escalating the U.S. <clears throat> intervention in Vietnam. But we now know from his own recordings that Johnson himself doubted that story about that attack. Johnson's administration misled both Congress and the American people into a war that resulted in the loss of over 50,000 American soldiers and over a million Vietnamese. Congress was lied to. There was no serious debate about American intervention <clears throat> in that war. Third example, more recently, that we all remember was Iraq. Today it is now broadly acknowledged that the Iraq war was a foreign policy 
blunder of enormous magnitude. In this case, the Bush administration lied to the American people, claiming that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. The result of that war, the loss of thousands of brave American soldiers, the displacement of millions of people in the Middle East and bringing us to where we are right now. In other words, what we have seen is time and time again, disasters occur when administrations, Democrat and Republican, mislead Congress and the American people, and when Congress fails to do its constitutional job in terms of asking the hard questions of whether or not we should be in a war. And I think we need to ask that very hard question today. And here is the point that I hope the American people are asking themselves. Is the war on terror a perpetual, never-ending war necessary to keep us safe? I personally believe that we have become far too comfortable with the United States engaging in military interventions all over the world. After 9-11, Congress passed an authorization for the use of military force, quote, against those responsible for the recent attacks launched against the United States, end quote. The following year, Congress passed the 2002 AUMF against Iraq. We have now been in Afghanistan for 17 years. We have been in Iraq for 15 years. We are occupying a portion of Syria, and this administration has indicated that it may broaden that mission even more. We are waging a secretive drone war in at least five countries. Our forces right now, as we speak, are supporting a Saudi-led war in Yemen, which has killed thousands of civilians and has created the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet today. Clearly, these outdated and expansive AUMFs have been used by three different administrations, Republican and Democrat, as a blank check for the president to wage war without congressional consent or oversight. Meanwhile, now whether Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal will have anybody talking to the president, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board writes today, understood that Donald Trump had a bad history with women, but mistakes of character tend to catch up with everyone, and that's what is now happening with President Trump and his many women. Mr. Trump can't retain the best legal counsel because no one wants a client who ignores all advice. He wants to answer questions from Mr. Mueller, but probably won't prepare enough to avoid even accidental self-incrimination. The Stormy Daniels case is typical of Mr. Trump's pre-presidential behavior in thinking he can, with enough threats and dissembling, get away with anything. He's never understood that a president can't behave that way, and this may be the cause of his downfall. Susan, um, this is just among the first cracks in uh, terms of support, editorial support for the right. president from the journal. Yeah, and that's but the journal's exactly right. When you talk about the faults of his character coming back to haunt him, that not only plays to the president, but it also plays to a lot of Republicans in the House and the Senate right now who should be saying, 
I will stand up for what's right. I will speak against the president and what he's doing, as whether it's his policies or even some of the things, his, the attacks he makes on women and other people. But the Stormy Daniels thing is just something that hits so hits him so differently. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, we know he hasn't tweeted about it. He hasn't gone anywhere. But I think it's just a matter of time, and that's what I think a lot of people are waiting for. You know, Eddie, there's a piece in the New York Times today by Jonathan Martin about. Uh, various Republicans running around the country right. and they cannot they can't stand up and talk about real issues that affect people because the first question out of the box is the president's behavior right I mean it seems to me that this uh, tef Teflon Don is no longer Teflon Don when it comes to, to to the Stormy Daniels question I think there are three C's here uh, there's the case there's the client and there's the climate I don't think any lawyer in their right mind wants to take on the case I don't think any lawyer who, who's worth his or her salt uh, wants to deal with a client that will not pay attention, that will not lie, that will not follow advice. That and will then not pay. That will not pay. <laughs> and then there's the climate. The climate is not only the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement has changed the way in which uh, people understand and, and accept uh, certain kinds of behavior, where the, how they judge that behavior. There's the climate in terms of uh, the, the serious, uh, I think, uh, response to Russian interference in our elections. There's uh, kind of economic uncertainty. There's the chaos that's coming out of the White House. So all of this that, that, that I think informs how people are judging and assessing what's going on, I think is also shaping and informing how lawyers are, are assessing whether or not they will take on this case. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and speaking of the Republicans and that Jonathan Martin article and Stormy Daniels, let's go to the latest in the Stormy Daniels story. Uh, the porn star is now suing Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, for defamation, claiming that he betrayed her as a liar when denying claims of her affair with Donald Trump. The new filing also argues that the $130,000 hush money agreement signed just 11 days before the election should be nullified because it violated campaign finance law. Meanwhile, the White House is trying to explain why the president has not responded to the porn star directly. Yesterday, the in the morning after her 60 Minutes interview aired, the president tweeted, quote, so much fake news, never been more voluminous or inaccurate. But through it all, our country is doing great. A senior administration official tells NBC News that the president has discussed his response with several aides and has been told that the Stormy Daniels issue doesn't rise to the level of a presidential response. The senior official also counseled Trump, telling him that it doesn't endanger his presidency or agenda. It really is, uh, John Hyman, it's breathtaking. I, we're used to the lying, but on something this big, perhaps the most important part of this entire investigation, everything you heard from every White House representative there was a lie. And Donald Trump admitted this weekend they were all lying. What are the consequences of this? Well, I don't know what the consequences are, but I know that it's an indication that uh, that. that the, some folks here are not just in serious trouble, but now recognize they're in serious trouble. And I think if you ask the question, Joe, you know, last week we watched as Donald Trump went, went further, deeper uh, into the realm of like, public obstruction of justice when he started attacking uh, the Mueller probe, started suggesting that, that the attorney general should shut it down. We now have a pretty clear explanation for why that is, which is that the president now is looking at uh, the Manafort trial, starting to focus on Rick Gates 
starting to focus on some of the things that perhaps Michael Cohen has told investigators about this meeting, uh, about what might have led up to it, about who might have known what about it in advance, about what the president's role might have been, about what Donald right. Jr.'s role certainly was. We already have a lot of email on, an email trail on that. And as the president has started to recognize, and we used all the various metaphors, but walls closing in, and the facts, that the, the actual facts are starting to become closer and closer to the surface, and corroborating witnesses are starting to either come forward or be, appear to about to become forward, the president is uh, in, in the exact 180 degree opposite uh, to what his statement in the tweet says, as, as Mika suggested just a second ago, you know if he's up and tweeting mm -hmm. about how he's not concerned about Donald Trump Jr., he's concerned about Donald Trump Jr. He's, he's concerned about Donald Trump Jr., and Phil Rocker, uh, he's, he's concerned that uh, Donald Trump Jr. may have stumbled into some illegal territory on his own. Also, obviously, he's got to be concerned by the fact that, again, it's going to be coming out not only whether it's in the Manafort trial or somewhere else, that it's obvious that meeting from the very beginning was to get information from foreign nationals, in this case the Russians, which is yeah. a crime. They can run around people... Lawyers learning on collusion is not a crime. Anybody knows. A ranking congressman like I was in my first year understood. You can't get an in-kind contribution from, you know, mullahs in Iran or Vladimir Putin in Russia. That's right, Joe. And the president is concerned. He's anxious. He's fearful uh, about where this is all headed. His legal team is focused on that Trump Tower meeting as they have been for some time. That is a key uh, moment in the Mueller investigation. But our reporting, uh, despite what the president tweeted in response to it, very much is that he's worried about Don Jr. He's expressed that worry to the people that he's been talking to uh, on the phone. He's been privately brooding over this, uh, sort of un uh, feeling very uneasy uh, that Mueller seems to be inching closer and closer uh, to the Oval yeah. Office, to the people in the president's circle. And that's why you've seen him, uh, the president, lashing out on Twitter, lashing out at these campaign rallies, tearing into the media, uh, tweeting about the witch hunt more and more and more, tweeting about Robert Mueller by name more and more and more. That's how he's uh, channeling all of that frustration and fear. You know, it's important to keep reviewing the facts, especially as the president and others try and muddle them on Twitter. The New Yorker's Adam Davidson lays out the facts about which there is no dispute at all, that the president's son and top advisors knowingly met with individuals connected to the Russian government, hoping to obtain dirt on their political opponent. That document stolen from the Democratic National Committee and members of the Clinton campaign were later used in an overt effort to sway the election. These are facts. That when the Trump Tower meeting was uncovered, the president instructed his son and staff to lie about the meeting and told them precisely which lies to use and that the president is attempting to end the investigation into this meeting and other instances of attempted between his campaign staff and representatives of the Russian government. And, uh, Joe, the president all along saying no collusion, no collusion. Yeah, well, I mean, no that means nothing. He might as well be saying no wiffle ball tournaments in the backyard. I mean, if there's conspiracy, uh, that's, that's a crime. If there's a conspiracy to get information from a foreign national, uh, anything of worth, that's a crime. Mike Barnacle, uh, he can run around saying no collusion all he wants. It, you know, maybe, maybe it's a conspiracy. Uh, again, 
uh, to collude with a foreign national uh, to get something, anything of value. That's a crime. But again, in this case, as we said about Watergate, as everybody says about it seems every political scandal, at the end of the day, it may not be the crime. It may be the cover-up to the crime that does the most damage. And we have all of this in broad daylight. Donald Trump has been lying through his teeth about everything, but about this meeting specifically from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, Joe, that's, that's the uh, point, the principal point of danger for Mr. Trump right now, post-meeting. What happened after post-meeting? And we know for a fact, F-A-C-T, fact, that he sat mm -hmm. on Air Force One and helped prepare a false statement. And Richard, uh, this just further enmeshes him into uh, not collusion, but a conspiracy. Yeah, because again, hearkening back to Watergate, it's, always, it's both what you do and then what you do about what you did. So now we have the, the pretty clear evidence that this meeting took place. And when you read the law, it never says that money has to change hands. It can be a contribution of any sort. So you've got the meeting. And then you've got now the attempt to essentially hide what actually the purpose of the meeting and what happened at the meeting. So you've got it coming and going. And I think, this, I think we've actually entered now a very different realm because uh, we're no longer speculating. Now we actually have people essentially admitting what, what the president. happened. The people, yeah, the people being, in this case, the President mm -hmm. of the United States, in word, on Twitter, admitting what happened. And, and you know, uh, Richard brings up a great point. Mika, it doesn't have to be cash. There doesn't have to be an exchange of cash for something of value. Whenever somebody would do a fish, a fish fry for me yeah. in northwest Florida, I had to write down how much everything was worth. Right. I mean, napkins, cups, fish, everything. Uh, barbecue, it's the same thing. Anything of value, that's called an in-kind contribution, and the law has always looked at that just as seriously as they've looked at, uh, you know, as they've looked at, at, at money exchanging hands. And in this case, getting this kind of dirt, attempting to get this type of dirt uh, from uh, and, and to coordinate the release of that dirt against an opponent, boy, that's worth a, a couple of uh, a couple of fish. Uh, that's worth a ton of money. We'll get a sense of how this is playing on Capitol Hill from Casey Hunt in just a moment. But first, Eddie.
For this trial, he's frightened for his family. Feeling, uh, feel as if uh, Mueller is targeting his son, his daughter. If they've committed crimes, he should. But he's worried. Donald Trump is worried. He's scared. the The, the best thing I think Donald Trump could do, folks, is resign. All of this shit is just swirling. Over him, around him, under him. There is no escape. Like the clip said, the walls are closing in on Donald Trump. The best thing he can do is just say, give it all up and say, fuck it, I'm going to play golf. I quit. Because even if Donald Trump does resign, this shit is still going to follow him. Uh, Mueller is still going to indict him or subpoena him or lock him up. It's still going to happen. And he should know that. He should know that. But, you know, I mean, okay, Rick Gates testifies that he committed crimes with Paul Manafort. Wow. That has to have Donald Trump quaking in his boots or pants. Gates' trial testimony is key to special counsel Robert Mueller's case against the former Trump campaign chief. All of this is tied to Donald Trump. It's nice to know that people who 
were or are affiliated with Donald Trump are going to jail. You just know Mueller is coming after Trump. I would rather, if if I wanted to hear or see anybody going to jail, I I wake up every morning hoping that I will turn on the computer or, or the television and hear that Donald Trump has resigned or he has been locked up. He's in prison every morning. And I know it's going to come. It's going to come. The walls are closing in on Donald Trump. He cannot escape. He's lying profusely. I mean, his lying is controllable. I mean, he lies in his tweets. He lies uh, every time he opens his mouth and says something. He lies at his rallies. Every rally, he lies. And I, and I keep saying, I don't see why the media keeps on uh, covering him. Stop covering Donald Trump because he says he has nothing of value to say. He has nothing newsworthy to say. But I understand they have a job and they have a job to do. But the way Donald Trump is vilifying the press, the media, is just atrocious. Calling them the enemy of the people, that's a total lie. They are not the enemy enemy of the people. Excuse me. If anyone is the enemy of the people, it is Donald Trump. Right now, this man is so scared. You, you wonder... So, you wonder why he hasn't had a heart attack or a stroke so far. All of this shit swirling around him. He cannot duck or dance out of out from under some of this stuff. It's going to get him and it's going to hit him hard. While he just because he's not in public view, Donald Trump is behind closed doors screaming, yelling, bitching. You know, I mean, he is really really uh uh, going crazy, even crazier behind closed doors than he, than what he's doing in person. Oh, he's having a hissy fit behind closed doors. He's screaming, he's yelling, he's firing, he's ah, ah. I could not work for the guy. I don't give a shit. You couldn't give me all the money in the world to work for Donald Trump. And the people who are working for Donald Trump, once Donald Trump goes down, they're going to have a hard time finding a job. Nobody is going to want to hire somebody who has been in the Donald Trump administration because most people think or feel or know that the Donald Trump administration is white supremacist, uh, racism, hatred. I mean, you instigate, instigating violence. This is what lying. And I'm hearing about the lies, folks. Let me say something about the lies. Um, to this date, Donald Trump has told over 4,000, 4,000, let me see if I could come up with the number, 4,229 lies. Can you believe that? 4,000, Donald Trump to this date has told over 4,229 lies. And majority of those lies he told out in public. 420, 420, no, not 400, it's 4,229 lies, if I can get that straight, 4,229 lies. If you don't believe that, we search it online, folks. This show is not about lies, it's not about hate, it's about trying to get the facts out and my opinion of those facts. It's a talk show, 
It's a political talk show. Basically, it's not a political talk show. It's just you can talk about anything you want. But since our country is in such peril, uh, I, I have to uh, talk about this just about every day on, on the show. But 400, 4,000, I keep saying 400, 4,229 lies this man has told. And counting, he's still telling them. So it might be 5,000 now, you know. <laughs> and I'm hearing he, that he averages about six lies, six or seven lies a day. I would think it's more than that, but, you know, that's what they, you know, figured it out to be. It, it, it's just, uh, uh, America is just fallen. I mean, you have, have you seen that movie, um, well, the title of the movie, Olympus Has Fallen, or London Has Fallen, with, with Jerry Butler, Jared Butler. Uh, I don't know, the title... Uh, is similar to what's happening to America. Instead of Olympus has fallen or London has fallen, America has fallen. America has fallen under this clown, this buffoon, this liar, this traitor. And I've had people call the show, you know, or, or email me or inbox me you know, telling me that I don't basically don't know what I'm talking about. They're yelling and they're, uh, you know, calling names, being racist. But, you know, this is what Donald Trump is. He's a racist. He's a racist. He's a liar. He's a traitor. Not only is Donald Trump a traitor, but we have Republicans, Congress, who are traitors to this country. And we have to vote these assholes out. Traitors. I mean, they go and collude with Russia like it's a day at the beach. It's nothing. Why are we so upset? Putin, Russia is not our friend. Russia is not our ally. Putin is a dictator. And it's a damn shame that Donald Trump caresses the dictators as he gives our friends and allies the finger. He gives our friends and our allies the finger. The fuck, they can fuck off. I'm going over here with the dictators. Donald Trump will never be a dictator in in America. Dictators are smart. I mean if you if you if you saw that Helsinki Finland uh summit where Donald Trump was on stage standing right beside Putin, who looked the stronger as a leader? Who was the strongest looking? Putin was the strongest looking. Donald Trump looked weak. He looked crazy. He looked wild. The podium was holding him up. If he'd have let go of that podium, he'd have fell on his ass. Putin was strong. Putin was, you know, I mean, he, he had a certain assertion about himself. He was standing tall, even though Trump was taller than he, he is. He was standing tall. Putin was the better leader. He seemed more in control of himself. Trump seemed more out of control of himself. This was on television. This was uh, 
broadcast around the world. Trump was weak, America away to this dictator, and everybody was saying, the guy is a traitor. He is. He, he, he's, Trump doesn't like America. He never did. And even before this summit, Trump was against America, Americans. He didn't like it. He didn't like us. And he still doesn't. He wants to do something to Americans so bad because he knows the majority of Americans do not like him. He wants us to have IDs <laughs> to shop for groceries. He thinks of all kinds of shit to try to hurt Americans. He really does. I think Donald Trump gets up every morning to thinking what can he say that's stupid uh, that's going to distract Americans. I think he, I think he does. I think he he gets a notebook or something. Well, I'm going to say this today. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to distract today. I'm going to I'm going to distract from the Manafort trial and say this. And that's what he's doing. He's distracting every time he says something. But I do think his distracting moments and days may be over because of because of the trial, the Manafort trial, because of his son and daughter being implicated in Russia uh, meddling in Russia collusion to get uh, uh, stuff on Hillary Clinton uh, to make her look bad so she doesn't win the election. That's crazy. Trump has colluded with Russia. We know it. He didn't say it. No collusion a million times. He lied a million times. I'm pretty sure that his lies have equaled more than 4,229 lies. If you count, if you count all the times he said no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, and now he's and now in some cases I'm hearing that it's being reported that he actually is committed, is uh, changing his mind and saying, yeah, he colluded. Why is he doing this? Because he knows, he knows. Mueller is on his trail. Maybe he's saying no collusion. Maybe he feel that he'll get he won't he'll get less prison time. That's one of the things about Donald Trump. Uh, for me, I don't want to see Donald Trump impeached. I want to see the guy go to jail. I think he should go to jail for what he's done to America. I think he should go to jail for over and over and over again lying to the American people. That should be an impeachment offense in itself. Lying to the American people. Donald Trump should go straight to prison. If he, I mean, they may give Donald Trump a plea deal. They may say, hey, wow, resign your job as presidency and you will not go to prison. But if you stay in office, we will lock you up. They're going to give him some kind of plea deal on this thing because the walls are closing in on Donald Trump, folks. I've said for months he cannot last with all this shit swirling around him and everything that's going on, especially the Rick Gates testifying that he committed crimes with Trump's uh, one-time campaign manager, Paul, Paul Manafort. That's devastating to Donald Trump. And we know that Donald Trump is the kingmaker. Nobody does nothing without Donald Trump knowing about it. These people were kissing Donald Trump's ass. There is Donald Trump 
is now he is terrified that Paul Manafort is probably going to flip on him just like Michael Cohen has. And I do think that one of the reasons why Donald Trump is now kind of confessing that he is a criminal, maybe because of his family. His family is telling him, you might as well admit it. They're going to find it out. Maybe they know it already. He might have be, you know, uh, who knows? Manafort or Manafort's people could be talking to Donald Trump or Donald Trump's lawyers and saying, hey, this is what we have. It's better if he, re- he resigns or this will go to Congress and Congress will impeach. But I don't think they're going to impeach him. You got so many people that don't like Donald Trump in Congress, but they're too damn afraid to stand up to him to do anything. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We're just about off the air. Folks, I want everybody to have a good evening. Whether you're listening to this show uh, in the morning, in the evening, at night, during the weekend, you have a good one, folks. I mean, I've had fun on the show today. I, I think it's been great. It's been beautiful. And uh, now we're just about off the, off the air. I want everybody to join me every day of the week except for Friday on the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to uh, be talking about a lot of things and a lot of stuff. Some people say, well, George, you curse too much on your show. Have you seen Bill Maher? <laughs> have you seen or have you heard Bill Maher? Have you heard some of the other talk show hosts on radio and on television? Believe me, what I'm saying is nothing. Believe me, I mean, these people really get down and they know how to uh, humiliate Trump on television. They know how to talk. You think I talk about Trump? You think I, I, I'm against him? Yeah, I, I don't like him, okay? I don't like Trump. I, I, I don't like him. I never did. I don't think he liked me. I don't think he liked me. I don't think he liked people, period. If, they were, if, if, if you don't have anything, he doesn't give a fuck about you. You know, he's a racist pig. He's not only a racist to African Americans. You see what he's done, what he tried to do with Le, LeBron James. And then uh, invoking Michael Jordan, Trump is a racist. He's a pig. I mean, he, he's, he's not a leader. That's one thing for sure. Trump is no leader. <laughs> what has he done to uh, say that he led on something in America? Nothing. He's broken a lot of shit in America, he's bro- and he's still breaking stuff, but he's not leading because he doesn't know the first thing about it. The Republicans in Congress, they're not leading. This is why a lot of Republicans are leaving the party and crossing over to the Democrats. I think one of the worst things Donald Trump could have done was tick off the Koch brothers. That means that Republican money is going to dry up, and they need that money to win elections. Republican money is going to dry up with Koch brothers giving money to the Democrats instead of the Republicans. Donald Trump fucked up. The Republicans screwed up. And also the NRA, I'm hearing, is, is uh, having financial problems. That's another uh, uh, avenue where the Republican money is drying up. They won't get any money from the NRA. They won't get any money from rich donors like the Koch brothers, the Republicans. So they're going to have a rough time uh, uh, winning elections this fall or in the future because they need money and they should be quaking. They should be scared to death, quaking in their boots 
because of Donald Trump insulting uh, uh, the Koch brothers, saying that they're a joke, they're nothing. Refusing to realize or to think the reason why he's there in the first place is because of the Koch, bro- the Koch brothers' money. The guy doesn't think he's crazy, he's insane, he's a loony. And as I've said again, and a lot of us say, he cannot last long. The walls are closing in. Any, any day, any day now, any moment, we could hear Donald Trump resigning. We can hear Donald Trump has been indicted, which they, well, they're trying to say, well, you can't indict a sitting president. We'll just have to see what Mueller, Mueller is going to do. Uh, I, I just feel that the walls are closing in. On Donald Trump. All right, so I want to thank everybody for tuning into the George Wilder Jr. Show. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We're going to ha- be talking some more about making the world a better place and taking our country back. If you, if you, in, if you're about that, then make sure you join me on the show tomorrow. Next week, we're going to have a slew of guests, people coming on the show, giving their opinions, talking about whatever they're going to be talking about, maybe their book or whatever. Um, so uh, make sure you tune in. And once again, I want to say whenever. Wherever you find yourself listening to this show and whenever you find yourself listening to the show, whether it's in the morning, it's in the afternoon, it's in the evening, it's on the weekend, make sure you enjoy the show. And I want to say thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for podcasting. And make sure you join me tomorrow, folks. We will be here tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. Bye-bye, everybody.